Artemis endeavors to get more women and girls in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. Welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Chance, and our co-host today is Marsha Brownlee. How are you doing, Marsha? I'm doing great. Good morning. Good morning. Our guest today is Stacy Welling Hoy. How are you, Stacy? Great. How are you guys? <laughs> we're good. <laughs> exactly. My sentiments exactly, Charlie. Yeah, we're doing great. Um, so Stacy joins us today from Michigan, correct? Yes. What part of Michigan do you live in? Uh, actually, the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So we're near Marquette in a little town called Quinn. You lucky duck. Yeah. Oh, the UP. Do you have a Do you have a lot of snow right now? Oh yes, we do. <laughs> we got about 17 inches last week, mm. so we've got plenty of snow to play in. So come on up. Wow. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Well, it sounds like at the moment you pretty much live in a giant freezer, um, but can you tell us a little bit about what's in your freezer currently? Sure. Um, a little bit of everything. We do have some venison. Um, we actually have some bear from a friend, um, and I think there's some lake trout from a, a trip uh, a while back, But uh, and then a lot of kid stuff. <laughs> you said a lot of kid stuff? Yes. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, we have two daughters. They're eight and five. Um, they haven't quite got into the wild game yet. So um, there's also plenty of chicken nuggets and tater tots. Yep. Gotta love the chicken nuggets and tater tots. Yes. Where's the bear from? I'm curious. You said it was from a friend, but is it a Michigan bear? Yes. Yep. Yep. And uh, I don't know his hunting story, but it, it came in um, the annual uh, Christmas basket exchange that we do. Oh, tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're just yes, they're great family friends. They're wonderful and they're, you know, very outdoor oriented. They also have a little hobby farm. So they're very generous in their basket. Um, we, we actually got some bacon from their latest harvest at the farm and, um, you know, bear and you name it. They always have little things in there. They're great. And, and a bottle of wine, which is uh, a great accompaniment to all of that. Super cool. Oh, of, of course. You got to have the wine in there. So Stacy, can you tell us a little bit about who you are? Yeah. So I grew up um, in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan in Menominee County. So that's actually known as the banana belt of the UP. We don't get as much snow there. And just had your normal All-American uh, small school upbringing. Great community. Grew up in a small town called Powers in the banana belt, Menominee County of the UP. And uh, just had a great small town upbringing. We had a lot of family right in the same town that I grew up in. I had one aunt who was the head cook at the school, another aunt who was a teacher, and my uncle was the football coach. So um, definitely loved having everybody close by. I'm curious, how big was your graduating class? 48. Nice. And, and we all stay really you know, really well in touch. Um, I went to Northern Michigan University after that, and I um, did a bachelor's and master's. Um, actually coached cheerleading at Northern, and that paid for my master's degree. Nice. And uh, from there, 
I worked at a local hospital, actually the hospital I was born at, uh, and uh, doing community relations and um, fundraising for the hospital. And then through some contacts I'd made in my master's degree and some projects I'd worked on through internships, um, I had applied for a job as a regional representative for our governor at that time. And uh, I held that job for five years. And that was great. It was a big geographical area. We covered 30 counties in Michigan. Um, But it was a great learning experience. And I worked uh, under some wonderful people and and they taught me a lot. And then after that, I just was looking for a change. So I left Michigan and I moved out to uh, Washington, D.C. and worked for a member of Congress out there. And um, it was fascinating. Another great learning experience and definitely wanted to be back home. Um, it was too much of a too big of a city, but a great experience. So uh, I worked. I moved back, and about that time, this job came open with the Department of Natural Resources, and it's Upper Peninsula Field Deputy. So it's covering a geographical area and representing the department to the community, and then also representing the field, you know, to our main office in Lansing. So it's a, a little bit of everything. So, and I've been in this job for 13 years. And then, of course, I have a wonderful husband and and uh, two great girls and uh, a lab, a yellow lab. Wow, that's quite the professional journey. And I love how <laughs> so many things in your life seem to be full circle, like working at the hospital you were born at. That's cool. Yeah, it's definitely an eclectic uh, oh. resume. Oh. <laughs> well, I like it. Um, can you tell us about uh, your journey oh. as a hunter? Specifically, something I want to hear about is Grandma's Hunting Training Academy. Yeah, so, you know, and to be honest with you, I really didn't think there was anything unique about my early hunting experience, um, really until, you know, other folks would ask, you know, well, really, that's unique. Um, This is just what you guys do. And, And that was just what we did. And at an early age, I mean, I don't remember a time when the hunting wasn't part of what our family was doing. And this is my, you know, my maternal side of the family. Um, And my grandmother was really probably the most passionate about it. And, you know, what I, what I can say looking back now is she made it an adventure. She really made every part of it an adventure from preparing to hunt, to watching the movements of the animals, to the harvest, um, to field dressing, to cooking the animal. I mean, she made every part of it just a celebration and really a family event. And um, I will say probably in school, I remember the first time probably I was hunting, you know, with, with family members at that time. I wasn't actually, you know, carrying the gun, but learning. Uh, you know, I'd have guys in my class say, you didn't really hunt. You don't really go out there, you know, kind of, I think kind of you're a girl, right? And um but that, that wasn't true at all. You know, we, it didn't matter who you were. We would go out with grandma and um, she had a little spot near the farmhouse and she would get us ready and we would go sit with her for the afternoon. And, and uh, it was really an academy from the standpoint of she wanted to make sure we were ready to go and hunt. Um, I think with the other family members, but also it was her special time with us. That sounds amazing. It sounds lovely. Yeah. It really was. And it's, you know, like I said, it, I didn't think anything of it then, 
but obviously looking back now, how powerful it was that, that she took us um, and that she led those conversations. And she, she would do little things like, um, you know, everybody had a certain area where they hunted. And, you know, usually it was from a blind for firearm season and, and she would have little road signs along the way to everyone's blind, you know, like Rick's roost is just oh. ahead. And then, you know, so that it was really, it was very special. Yeah. Do you know how, what, her, how she started hunting, what her backstory was? Well, you know, I think it, it's a reflection of her um, personality and I think also the time frame. Um, she was, she was just, um, fiercely independent and, you know, she really didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. something else I didn't, I didn't really realize for that generation, you know, that was very rare. Um, you know, she lived through the depression and, you know, there's a lot of stories or her parents immigrated from Poland and, you know, there's stories of, of their first winter in Michigan and they bought a farmhouse and they were promised that there would be enough you know, supplies to get them through the winter. And when they arrived, there was not. And, you know, there were, she, she never wanted to eat rice because they had rice, I think for every meal for probably that winter, it was just, it was very um, depression era. Right. And so I think they learned to live off the land probably as a necessity at first. Um, But then it just grew into a really a fun family event. And I, it, it sounds like she really carried that fun and connection and centering of relationships forward in the environment that she created for you. Um, and that sounds really special. Yeah. I mean, it really was a, a wilderness playground, you know, and it wasn't, it wasn't just hunting. It was everything about the land really. Um, you know, she planted a, a big garden and, and just loved to, tend to that and see what came up every year. And, um, but, but there was a sense of adventure, I think, planted in all of us. There's 10 grandkids, five girls, five boys. And I think we all have that sense of adventure where we, you know, we're not afraid, afraid to try something new or, you know, a new experience. And, and, um, and, and I think she really started that. And, and my grandfather, I don't want to give everything to, to her because he was, he was very much involved with all of it too. But um, I, I think looking back, she, you know, she really having her take us out hunting was very special. Do you have siblings? Yes, I have an older sister and uh, she is an avid hunter as well. And um, she loves to sit and and um, she, you know, she loves all different aspects of, of her passion is firearm hunting, but she's also um you know, trying to get her points for a bear tag uh, in Michigan. There's, you know, different bear units and tags. So she's uh, waiting for that to happen. And uh, my dad's an avid um, uh, small game. So he loves bird hunting. So there's kind of that aspect as well. So we dabble a little bit in everything. Cool. Yeah. Wow. You guys have it covered up there. Mm-hmm. Um, so Stacy, are you an archery hunter? Is that what I'm hearing? No, you know, that's one area that um, I've done archery practice, and we actually have a, um, a little range that we run every year as part of our um, Upper Peninsula State Fair. We have a little pocket park, and we do archery there, but I have never archery hunted. So that's something where, you know, I've firearm hunted 
you know, all my life, but never archery hunted. So that's something that I'd like to get into. Um, that would be different for me. Neat. Um, have your girls been able to attend training Academy with your grandma? Hmm. Well, they, what they do is, right, they love everything outdoors. Um, they're not as into hunting yet, but they are asking a lot of questions and they're, they're getting prepared. So in the next few years, they'll definitely be out. Uh, but my nieces are older. They're 16 and 13. And so they've been out several times. So um, pretty soon I'm excited to get our girls more involved as well. Very fun. Well, uh, I would like to ask you about the UP Habitat Work Group, and I guess if you could just tell us what it is and kind of how you became a part of it. Yeah, you know, one thing that I will say in, in my current role with the with the Department of Natural Resources is uh, we've really, I think, expanded our stakeholder relationships and our stakeholder groups, and uh, we actually started two councils um, that are a little bit different than the UP Habitat Work Group. They're an Eastern and Western Citizens Advisory Council. They're focused in the UP, and uh, we bring folks together once every month. We alternate between the East and West, and every division of the department is discussed, so we, you know, talk about everything under, you know, the everything under the sun that relates to the Department of Natural Resources. And the UP Habitat Work Group was actually created by one of our natural resource commissioners, J.R. Richardson, and he was having a conversation with one of our retired biologists, uh, particularly after a very harsh winter that impacted the white-tailed deer herd. And so they were talking about, you know, what can we do on the ground uh, together and how can we make an impact? And so they really looked at what might, what's a gap? What are we missing? And one thing they noticed is um, a lot of the critical deer winter habitat was actually on private land. So if we wanted to do something to reach those animals, you know, when they're, um, you know, struggling in the winter and how do we do that? And so that's really kind of how it started. And, and we've, we've had a lot of successful projects since then. Wow. That's really interesting. You know, one of the things that I don't, I think a lot of people in the Southeast don't think about a lot is, um, how winter can impact deer because where we live, it's really, it's really a non-issue. Um, but when you start getting things like 17 inches of snow <laughs> yeah. and you know, there's nothing to eat above five feet off of the ground, I can see how that would be really important. Yeah. And it's particularly, I think, you know, really that's why it's called the UP habitat work group because you know, in the, in the, in the lower peninsula, they don't struggle as much because, you know, they have a little bit of a different climate. So it's, it's warmer there and, um, the terrain in the upper peninsula is just a little bit, um, you know, more, uh, hilly and it just makes it a little more challenging for, for the deer. So this is something that really a lot of folks came together that was really a result of, um, some population estimates and, and the impact of winter severity. I'm, I'm curious, what do they look for for winter habitat? habitat? Well, and I'm not a biologist, so I, I, I will just go by what uh, my coworkers, you know, have told me um, through the years. But, 
you know, we do monitor and use other monitoring systems for snowfall um, and depths of snow. So, you know, we monitor that. They have different rating scales and they can tell, um, you know, basically how that's impacting the animal. So that's something we monitor throughout the winter. So we can estimate how well we think they're going to, um, the population's going to uh, go through that particular winter season. Snowfall and depth are really, you know, um, are really key. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you talk more about what your role is as part of the work group and how you came to be on it? Like, was it just through the course of your job or was it something outside of like beyond the scope of your work? Yeah, it was just, it was just part of um, just being a resource from the department side with the group. So um, it isn't anything that, you know, um, I was selected for throughout the general population. Uh, so it's just assisting where I can with, with making the connections and, and helping out uh, with them. So, you know, wasn't, wasn't anything special on my part. Well, I imagine that your the the communication and and community building skills that you developed as a congressional representative were certainly useful in this role. Yeah, and you know, I think um, you know when I when I started the position with the department, uh, it was it was bumpy at first because when you looked at it on paper. Um, folks weren't aware of my resource background or my, my private resource background. They just saw someone who, you know, just came from a congressional office living in Washington, DC to now covering this region. When, you know, if you look before that um, really, you know, my, my personal life, my family life and my upbringing kind of led to this role, you know, um, I'm passionate about the region, passionate about the resources and definitely willing to um, get involved and help in any way I can. And, you know, this position really is um, in some ways a dot connector. So how can we connect, you know, with different individuals and organizations and make sure that, you know, we're maximizing what we're doing? That's, that's kind of, you know, one of those examples is, is some of the work of the UP Habitat work group. But, you know, another one I can think of is, um, one of the local school districts reached out recently, and one of their projects for their class is they would like to build an accessible blind. And so they connected with me and wanted to know, okay, once we build this blind, you know, where is there a need for accessible hunting and, and how can we connect hunters who have that need with this blind that we would like to donate once we use this as a school project? So you know, those kind of things, I, I think where, you know, we just want to get people outside and enjoying the resources any way we can. I appreciate the regularity that you guys are offering an opportunity for people to come and connect. I think once a month, you said, um, on both sides of the UP, that's um, sig that's a significant investment on the DNR's part. That's really impressive. Yeah, and we, we do alternate. So we'll have okay. you know, one month, like Jan January is going to be the Western Council, and then February will be Eastern. Um, and, and I will say, you know, we've always been in person. We've always been, um, you know, that's just what we did was meeting, you know, having a cup of coffee. We all go through the agenda items. So it was a really big shift over the last two years. 
Um, and, you know, we have a great, great staff that really helped uh, my coworker, Christy, especially where we got the technology up and running, not only for ourselves, but for our council members and making sure that we could have those meetings virtually. So by April, I think it was, we had our first, um, you know, April of, of 2020, we had our first virtual meeting. And so we had them throughout. We didn't, you know, we really didn't miss much. Um, and they were very, they were very successful. And we got to have even more people participate from all parts of the state mm -hmm. that maybe wouldn't have driven to Newberry to attend a meeting if they're in Grand Rapids. But this way they could still tune in and participate. So, uh, so it worked out well. Yeah. Yeah, the interesting trade-offs of virtual life. Yeah, yeah. some <laughs> silver lining right there. Yeah. So how can uh, somebody who's listening to this, maybe they live in Michigan or maybe they just care about, um, you know, helping out with the Habitat Work Group, how could just any member of the public become involved? Yeah, we have, you know, we have great resources on our website. Um, there's information on on all of the councils that we're involved with we also have a rundown of public meetings um i know i can think of we have three public meetings in the upper peninsula all next week <laughs> and so um i'm heading to lansing for our public natural resource commission meeting that's going to be tomorrow so there's there's so many ways i can't emphasize enough to get involved um, from that side of it, if you're interested in, in getting involved from that standpoint, you know, don't hesitate to call your local office. Uh, they can always call me or email me and I'm happy to help in any way I can. Um, and that number is 906-226-1330. Look at that bravery. Just throwing it out there. Yeah. I know. Love it. We'll put it in the show notes too, in case anybody misses that. That's wonderful. Okay. We are going to take a quick break to hear from some of our partners. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Sick of pink it and shrink it? Us too. That's why we trust Isle Royal Outfitters as our source for women-exclusive hunting and fishing apparel. Their products are meticulously field tested, incorporating new solutions to ensure all apparel is silent, scent free, and designed specifically for women, so nothing stands in the way of your hunt. With a woman first approach and exclusive camo prints, you can ensure these products will not only stand up to your time in the field, but can also be utilized in everyday life. Check out IsleRoyalOutfitters.com and use code ARTEMIS20 for 20% off your next purchase. That's IsleRoyalOutfitters.com and code Artemis20. And we're back. Um, <laughs> Stacey, it sounds like uh, you have spent a good amount of time in the field. You started hunting as a kid. Can you talk, and I know you mentioned you have the two girls. Can you talk a little bit about how you've navigated your passion for the outdoors with 
trying to raise babies. <laughs> Asking for a friend. That's probably <laughs> yeah, yeah, for a friend that won't be named. <laughs> that's probably been one of my um, greatest challenges yet. You know, I think it's different for everyone. And, you know, we we don't have to fit into the mold of, of what it should look like. And I think that would be the, the biggest um, aha moment, if you will, that I've had is, you know, we, we all hunt differently and for different reasons. So, you know, someone might be hunting strictly just to get venison in the freezer. You know, other people want to go out just because they, you know, they specifically are looking for that um, the animal that has, you know, a 10 point buck or, you know, what have you. So, you know, for me, part of it is, is being outside and kind of unplugging, you know, um, not focusing on anything else, but just what's around me in that moment. And, you know, I think that's a really important to have that downtime. And I, and I'll give a shout out to my mom, Carol, because I will say when the babies were little, um, she would, she would take them for a night and she'd say, you know, you go out and hunt, stay at camp and, you know, pick them up in the morning. And, and so when they were baby babies, I, I, I didn't take them out. Um, and partially too, because our terrain is very, very cold, not to say you couldn't do it, but you know, um, (laughs) I think about that a lot, honestly, like even, I mean, it's pretty warm where we live and it's been down in the twenties and a little bit below recently. And when we go for a walk, I'm like, gosh, I don't want to do a diaper change in this weather. (laughs) Like it would be, it would be really hard. I don't want to use the bathroom in that weather. I can't imagine what it's like with your new baby skin. Yeah. And I think it's, so that's, you know, that's something where I think it's very, it's admirable and it's wonderful, you know, that you bring her along right from that point. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, and for me, uh, you know, uh, it was, it was just a different experience at that age. Um, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, and in the years to come, they will definitely, they're going to be out there and they are looking at a different way, but it's, it's different for everybody and that's okay. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I I appreciate that sentiment very much because it can be like speaking from personal experience, it's very inspiring to see other women. Apparently like it looks like from social media, just going after it and not being slowed down at all um, by their kids. But it can also in kind of a backdoor way, feel like pressure, like, if I'm not doing it, then I'm not doing it good enough or I'm not doing it right or, you know, whatever. And I'm trying to make peace with that, not just with hunting, but other areas in my life as well, especially because the current situation with COVID and we live pretty far from family. So it's just my husband and I, and, um, I would love it if I had a mom or, you know, somebody close to watch her every now and then. But in the meantime, I'm trying to bring her just out of necessity. So I, I appreciate and echo the sentiment that it looks different for everybody. Well, you know, one of the conversations we just had on one of our management team meetings, and and I've thought about it so many times in my personal life is grace. You know, and I think oftentimes we don't give ourselves enough grace. Like it's okay. It's okay to, it's okay to take them, you know, for 12 hours and it's okay to, you know, leave them home for a few hours so you can get out and, and have a different experience. So it's just what works for you in that moment. And I, I, I agree. And I, I do this with myself all the time. 
and I think the older I'm getting, I'm trying to recognize it more is that, you know, it doesn't have to be a certain way. It's just what, what works for, you know, it works best for you. And, and I will say, you know, another conversation I've had with a lot of my friends about social media, um, you know, sometimes those perfect pictures on social media are not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I know. Behind it, right? <laughs> I know how many photos it takes to get one of a smiling baby. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not completely disillusioned. Uh, but yeah, it can be easy to kind of fall into that trap, I guess. Yeah. And you know, I've had people say friends say, Oh, my gosh, you know, you go out. Um, I want you to teach me because you know so much about, you know, firearm hunting. Can you take me out? And I have some friends that are coming out we're going to start training in the fall with them and and they plan to hunt next season. Um, But there's still a lot of things I don't know. And, you know, like archery, you know, I'm not an avid archery hunter. I've never actually archery hunted. So I I look forward to that and and that's okay. And so um, the other thing is, I think, you know, it's important, you know, I have to give myself a refresher each season, right? You know, when I'm getting all my gear out and getting prepared, it's, it's, it's for as many years as it's been, you know, you still, you're still learning. And I think that might be what I'm trying to say and not doing a very eloquent job, but you know, we're all still learning, you know, nobody knows it all. And we might just all have different experiences, but you know, that's a great part. If we can just share them with each other and, you know, maybe take someone out that hasn't had that experience, you know, that's awesome. I love seeing that. I, I think that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Uh, do you have other friends that you hunt with that are women like outside of your family? You know, um, I will say where I hunt is actually on, um, my great grandparents farm homestead. So it's quite a distance, you know, from where I live, it's about an hour and a half. Um, so like I mentioned next year, some friends are going to be coming out and they're planning to stay with me. We're, we're kind of fixing up a spot. Um, but mainly it's really been a family event other than I will say, you know, we have a great becoming an outdoor woman program in the state of Michigan. And so in those instances, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie and we've, we've experienced, you know, different types of hunting that actually going out on a hunt um, with a lot of great women from the area and, um, actually from all over the United States. So from that standpoint, I guess, yes and no. Um, you know, it's, it's really been mainly family focused for me other than some of those becoming outdoor woman experiences. Sure. I'm always curious about that because before becoming a part of Artemis, I was never able to find women to hunt with. (laughs) And I know that we exist, right? Like I know we're out there, but again, I guess this is why I have a job. Um, It's hard. It can be hard to connect, (laughs) hard to connect with one another. Yes, it absolutely is. And, you know, I I will say, you know, in, in preparing for this conversation and kind of reflecting a little bit, you know, I realized that there have been times when, when I have hesitated to bring other people out, um, just because I'm like, I'm, I'm fearful that what if I do something wrong? Um, what if I don't know something? And, and really at the end of the day, you know, it goes back to that grace conversation. Like it's okay. You know, I, and I think I was striving for 
you know, the perfect hunt. And if it's not a perfect hunt, then I don't want to take somebody, you know, new out, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Right. I mean, um, it's the, it's the experience, right. It's, it's every part of it, you know, and, and it's, it's not just the harvest. It's, you know, um, being out there and having a different focus for a while and learning something new, whether it's just watching the movement of the animals, you know, I find that fascinating. Um, the terrain and, and just, you know, even getting ready for it, just, just every, every little part I think is, is key. Yes, absolutely. So this is a great segue for something else I wanted to bring up on this episode. Um, we have our Artemis ambassador applications open. Um, they're going to be open through February 7th. Is that right, Marsha? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And I, it just made me think about that because Stacey, what you're describing is what I experienced at the um, Artemis deer camp that I went to this year. And I know a lot of other women have experienced at hunt camps that Artemis ambassadors have put on. And um, there's not been a ton of harvest. (laughs) (laughs) There's been just wonderful, wonderful time shared in the field um, among sports women. And I think that, like you said, much more eloquently than I'm doing right now, um, that is as much a part of the hunt as is a harvest and uh, what follows. So um, if there's anyone out there listening that thinks, has ever thought being an Artemis ambassador might be for them, um, apply now. And I think too, I would reiterate kind of what Stacey was saying. You don't have to be an expert, although Stacey, it sounds like you kind of are an expert. Um, (laughs) You don't have to be um, you know, ready to star in a YouTube channel about hunting to be an ambassador. <laughs> so yeah, just want to plug that. Uh, Stacy, I, I love I... that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we have made some YouTube videos of our ambassadors, but, um, yeah, there's just no pressure there. We're so, all learning Stacey, together. That's the fun part. Yeah, absolutely. You've spent a lot of time in the field. Can you tell us about uh, one of your favorite moments that sticks out in your mind? Oh yeah, there's there's several. Um, you know, <laughs> one I can't wait to say on uh, on this podcast. Uh, we were heading out to prepare a blind, and I think I was about eight, and uh, my older cousin Rick at the time uh, was about seventeen, and he was driving my grandfather's truck and he had the radio up loud because it was before season or just getting things prepared and he was driving through the field and he hit a fence post oh. and, <laughs> and he looked over at me and he said don't ever tell anyone that that happened <laughs> <laughs> yeah, part of the bag sorry Rick yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, we kept going on, but it was, it was just those little moments, right. Of preparing and, and, and funny things that happen. Um, you know, another one was going back to the adventurous side. Uh, you know, uh, my grandparents just, they had that sense of adventure. So my grandfather, he, uh, he and his buddy, like in 1952, just got in their pickup and they're like, wait, we heard, you know, pheasants, pheasant hunting is great in South Dakota. We're going to go check it out. Mm. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know like, no internet. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and they met a family and, and they started hunting at that farm and they did that for 50 years. Oh, wow. And, and I just love it. And when I was 12, I got to go along with them 
And I look back now, like my dream wasn't to go to Disney World. My dream was to get to the place where I could go pheasant hunting in South Dakota in the camper, right? I mean, like that was my Disney World and it was amazing. And just the journey, you know, it was my grandparents and my cousins and and we just had an absolute blast. I loved seeing how flat it was and the tumbleweed. I wasn't hunting at the time, right? I was just helping walk through the fields and flushing, but just just you were the bird dog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I thought I was at that really important role, but actually I was just, you know, literally the bird dog. Well, um, that is an important but, role, but anyway. But then the, the latest one uh, was in 2011, and I had set up a new blind, and I was really excited about it, and um, I was getting prepared in the blind, and I'll, I'll be honest. I actually had my boot, one of my boots off because I had to adjust it. And just then when I looked out the window, this five point walked in. So I literally was like with one boot on, I, you know, I aimed and uh, got ready. It took my safety off, fired. And I knew I hit the animal, but it ran. And that particular year it was really warm. So there wasn't snow for tracking. And, um, there were, you know, I went back to camp and it was my dad and, and several of my cousins, I think there were six of us, um, they helped me track it through the swamp. And it was, it was so amazing. And they're like expert trackers. Cause I had never tracked like that. And, you know, we'd find a drop of blood, we'd fan out, you know, look for another and we found it, you know, we found the animal and harvested it. And, um, that was a great kind of family memory for all of us. And, uh, and, and so that was fun. So different, I guess, different phases in my life. Um, and, and just the, the camaraderie and, and, you know, it really is for me, um, the tradition and, and the family, uh, aspect of it as well. Oh yeah. I can, when I was in college, I worked at a in, in Wisconsin, you, at least at the time, I'm not sure if you still do, you have to physically check in your deer that you harvest at a check station. Um, and so I would work at a uh, volunteer at a check station for the DNR, just taking samples from the deer and helping age them and whatever else. And I remember literally everyone in their grandma brought deer to the check station. Like <laughs> everyone's grandma, you know, in, in an orange blaze, orange bodysuit. Um, would bring in deer. And I just, I love that. I think that's something that's unique, at least in my experience to the upper Midwest. I think part of it may be kind of what you talked about, Stacey, is that it's very much um, deer hunting specifically up there is very much cultural tradition. It's something that runs in families. It's a family affair. Deer camp is a lot of times. Um, And I think part of that might be because it's such a short season, like rifle season. I don't know how long it is where you are, but often it's like seven to nine days. Mm -hmm. So everybody takes off work. Sometimes school is canceled (laughs) and that's, that's all hands on deck for that time period. Yeah. I mean, we have two weeks, so in Michigan, but I think Wisconsin is, is still, you know, it's a little bit shorter, maybe more in the seven to nine, like you mentioned, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, we call it, we call it the UP holiday, right? And it's always, for us, it's always November 15th. Uh, that's the opener and people plan things around this and it's, it's even babies. Well, yes, I was just (laughs) going to say, I was just going to say my husband's birthday is November 15th. And 
that was always the joke, right? That he that he was at the hospital and and my husband was born and uh, he said to his wife, "Well, see you later. I have to go to camp now." So, you know, I mean, people plan weddings and and babies and you know, life. It, it, you you just stay away from that time frame, right? <laughs> yeah, untouchable. I like it. Yeah. Oh man, that's great. And also, we have had actually. Well, I guess not technically this year, not in 2022, but within the last year, we'd had another guest on the podcast who had a barefoot um, yes. hunting story. <laughs> oh, you're kidding. You're kidding. It was. Oh, I did not hear that one. I'd love to, though. I, I remember. Yeah, that... And I think it was part of our, our end of the year highlight reel um, with Mary yeah. Lynn saying, uh, you haven't really turkey hunted unless you've turkey hunted barefoot. <laughs> What Not happened? On... Did her boots get stuck in the mud or what? I'd have to, think I think they were she... wet and she'd taken yeah. them off to dry. Is that right, Ashley? Yes, I think so. Um, and then and the turkey her... appeared. Yeah. Because <laughs> they know, I, right? They, they know when you're not prepared. These animals <laughs> have got that radar. Oh, it's, that's uh... great. <laughs> that's always a joke whenever we're duck or goose hunting like if we're hunting from a blind it's like oh i haven't seen any birds in a while somebody should go take a leak you know mm-hmm. because yeah. when your waiter when your waiters are down the ducks will come in um <laughs> this year hunting with uh my daughter i was nursing her in the woods because you know she's a baby she's hungry all the time and i thought you know as we we're sitting there i'm like this is the moment this is when. <laughs> that's a whole new oh, yeah. level I, it's like- <laughs> you, you know yeah. it's it- so funny because our um our office in marquette um it has you know it's it's right on the main highway but behind it has you know some wooded area and i swear every deer season we have a buck that comes into the office like backyard and it's like they know like well i'm safe here (laughs) nobody can get me here so um yeah they're they're smart they're smart animals I've seen a lot more deer in the neighborhood that we live in than I did hunting this year, (laughs) which is sad, but also it's a family group. And because I go walking every day, I pretty much know exactly where they go every day. So it's partly, partly a self-fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) Um, Wonderful. Okay. Well, let's transition to hits and misses. This is our weekly closer. Um, Tell us what you've been aiming for and how did it go? Marsha, do you want to lead us off? Yes, I will lead us off. And Ashley, you've heard more about this than anybody else in the world, I think. Um, So thank you for bearing with me for one more conversation. Um, But I got a dog over Christmas break. Um, Many, yeah, I think we've talked about it before on the podcast, but my sweet 13 and a half year old dog passed away at the end of May. And so I was dogless for about six months and somehow decided that the middle of winter when it's cold and there's snow um, and it's like dark 20 hours out of the day is the ideal time to get a new dog. Um, that is when you need a dog. Yeah, it that makes is, sense to me. Right? It's a, it, I forget how challenging it can be, though, to get the dogs enough exercise in that kind of weather. But she's a sweetheart. She's a five-and-a-half-year-old rescue, so we're working through some um, interesting behaviors. But, uh, yeah, I've got a dog. Can you? That's fun. Can you tell us one of the interesting behaviors? Because I've heard you say that a lot, but I'm not yeah. too familiar with specifics. Well, I think, um, you know, she was, uh, there's definitely evidence of abuse in her past. So she is really, Mm -hmm. really uh, attentive to my tone and body language and very much like a lot of appeasing behavior. 
like a lot of, we're good, right? We're good. I'm okay. I'm doing the right thing. This is what you want from me. How are we? (laughs) Kind of behaviors. Um, So there's a lot of that. And then I've mentioned her aggressive snuggling, which is super sweet. It's like she sleeps in in the morning, which is fun for me. Um, And then she'll (laughs) like come down uh, because I get up early. And so I'm usually sitting on the couch reading and she'll come down um, and like the first three minutes of her being awake is like super aggressive snuggling where she's like all over my lap and she sneezes when she upside when she's upside down which is sweet um (laughs) but uh let's see um she hates little dogs um thinks of them as and again that's part of her past but uh is very aggressive towards little dogs which is something we're working through she um chases deer she's a deer chaser which, again, is something we're working through. She disappeared for an hour and a half when it was seven degrees outside. Um, the f- Like, the first week I got her, um, before I knew she was a deer chaser, and I thought for sure she was a goner. But she made her way back, which is good. And then let's see, what else? There's just so many. Um, she she sounds like a character. She is a character. And she um, what whatever she's focused on, she's focused on 9 million percent. So if that's me... Um, then that's great because we can do some really effective training. Um, if it's not me, if it's like uh, the person three blocks away or the dog pee on the ground at the trailhead, um, I can wave raw meat in front of her face and she doesn't care. So we're, we're oh, yeah, there's some challenges there, but overall she's a sweetheart and I'm super stoked to have her as a part of my life. Oh, I'm excited for you too. Stacy. what about you? So hits and misses. Uh, so we're starting with the hits. Uh, it's up to the- you. You can start with a hit or a miss, either way. Or you can do one or the other. Or if you've got one of each, both are good. Okay. Well, I've got a long list of misses, so I'll start with a hit. Um, one exciting thing that um, finally kind of wrapping up this week uh, is a, a professional project. But we, as as we mentioned, we have a lot of snow in the Upper Peninsula. And we've worked on a partnership. This will be the second year where we work with uh, road commissions, county road commissions, municipalities, even private individuals, some bait shop owners. And we're able to get some key um, access site parking lots maintained or plowed um, throughout the winter in the heavy snowfall area. So more families and people can get in and recreate. Nice. Uh, and go in and ice fish. So that's something we've really been working on, and I'm super excited for the second pilot. And uh, last year we didn't have a ton of snow. This year is more like a traditional Upper Peninsula winter, so uh, it's great to have those places open and safer and easier for people to access, especially for families to get in and get on the ice. That's awesome. As somebody who drives a CRV. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> I used to have a CRV. I love my CRV. Me too. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I have um, something that I'm going to categorize as a hit for the moment. Might end up being a miss. I don't know. Uh, I really love gardening, growing things, but I've never lived anywhere long enough to have like the garden of my dreams or even something I would qualify as like a nice garden. Uh, so now that we bought a house, I have staked out the sunniest patch of the yard and put in, um, three really big raised beds. And I have plans to put in more, um, before it's time to start planting, which 
actually here in Tennessee, I'm going to start sowing seeds indoors in February, like in less than a month. So I'm scrambling to try to, I ordered way too many seeds. I got overzealous. (laughs) Um, And so I'm trying to make a plan to utilize as much of what I've acquired as possible and um, make like a garden schedule. So yeah, it's, it's exciting right now. Hopefully (laughs) I can actually grow something worthwhile. That's awesome. Um, I can't wait to go on that journey with you. <laughs> yes, I, I will keep you apprised of how it, how it progresses. Uh, Stacy, thank awesome. you so much for joining us uh, for a podcast episode. It was great to talk to you and wonderful to hear about your experiences growing up and deer hunting and everything you've done since then. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to be part of what you guys are doing. Thanks for joining us this week on the Artemis Podcast. We hope you're having a wonderful week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious, get outside, and apply to be an ambassador. Mm